Salam and a special shout out to my Berliners. My name is Rehoff. Each episode I'll be having a dope talk about things that matter and often keep me awake at night. Why so dope you ask? I've got four words for you. Diversity, open-mindedness, peace and equality. Topics of global importance, yet still widely underrated. So let's jump right in and remember, keep an open mind. Salam everyone. Today's episode is being recorded on a Friday evening. Not only because my guests and I are working extra hours to make this podcast happen, but also because it's such a beautiful way to farewell uh, weeks of hard work with a pleasant conversation over a drink. Um, I'm spending this Friday with Yasmin Daher and Ina Mishaidi. Yasmin is a Palestinian feminist activist a writer and a researcher. She holds a PhD with excellence in philosophy from the University of Montreal and has been a lecturer for philosophy and cultural studies before she moved to Berlin, where she is also a founding member of Palestine Speaks and a director at Fibrayer, a network of independent Arab media organizations. Ina is also a feminist activist and a writer, She holds a magna cum laude PhD in sociology from the Humboldt University of Berlin and also a a board member of the Jewish Voice for Just Peace in the Middle East and a director at Association for Women's Rights in Development. Salamat, ladies. Uh, I am really very happy that we are doing this tonight and... uh, Thank you very much for accepting my invitation. Thanks a lot for having us. Okay, um, allow me to give the to give maybe you both you and uh, our listeners a little introduction to what we are going to be talking about today because uh, you are both activists and experts and writers of not only thought-provoking but also conscience-provoking articles on politics, on ethics, human rights and feminism. But today we are here to talk about none of this. We are here to talk about what's behind your activism because today is me talking to Yasmin, a Palestinian woman who was born and raised under the Israeli state, and with Ina, the queer Russian Israeli woman who, uh, who who was born into the Soviet Union and who immigrated with her Jewish family to Israel after the collapse of the uh, Soviet Union. So let's start with you, Yasmin. Okay. Um, you know, I always thought that both of us, like as Palestinians, we had just the same socialization and uh, and experience. And it wasn't until, you know, I talked to other Palestinians from the diaspora and other Palestinians like you who were born and raised in Palestine or in under the Israeli state mm-hmm. that I realized that this this diaspora made different people mm. out of us. Um, like, can you tell us? Can you tell me how was it for you to grow up as a Palestinian from the forty eight or, you know, what is uh, called Arab Israeli? Okay, 
Um, thank you so much, Rahaf, for uh, inviting us to your uh, podcast. And uh, thank you for this um, very um, kind and uh, warm uh, um, opening words. So um, I was uh, born and raised in Nazareth. Uh, my father from there and my mom from Nablus, which is in the West Bank. And um, I think uh, since we are bringing our personal stories, I um, like I grew up already with um, this complexity within the the home, having um, having to go during summers and spend them in Nablus. So I was uh, I think from an early age uh, aware of the differences um, of the realities, um, both of the Palestinians who live. Um, in the 48, um, and, the, um, and my mom's family that lives in uh, Nablus, in the West Bank. Um, so we had to go through uh, checkpoints, and um, I, I was very young during the First Intifada. Nonetheless, I was, uh, I was aware, and uh, I was taken by my aunt several times to the market where you would like see face-to-face and uh, meet the the soldiers uh, and have this uh, uh, like feeling of fear and uh, confrontation. And then um, I, I went back to um, to Nazareth where the situation is, is different, where actually your uh, confrontation with, um, with the Israeli violence and disenfranchisement, um, it felt more, um, for that girl I was, it felt more subtle, more nuanced. It's uh, in um, like a different kind of uh, of discrimination that you would uh, would meet in the West Bank. And um, maybe like later on, if you have questions, we have we can go back to 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 that. Um, but fast forward, I uh, uh, I joined the university. Uh, Tel Aviv University, where I uh, met Ina, and uh, and that was um, 2000 2001, exactly during the Second Intifada. I um, I went to study uh, sociology, um, political sciences, and later on uh, gender studies. Yeah, and the Intifada uh, was in its uh, peak. Uh, a culmination of uh, years of repression, uh, violence, uh, and anger that broke out. And I think that was a very great moment for, um, for me uh, to, to witness, to participate in. Uh, I started, I was already active uh, in, in, in Nazareth. Um, but being now alone, living in this big city and uh, in this uh, uh, moment um, I think it, uh, it it made me uh, the, the person that I am today uh, like uh, independent uh, and wanting to really uh, be part of making my own destiny but also uh, uh, influencing the the community the society the politics around me um, and uh, yeah, um, and I think in the second year I've uh, we've, I've met uh, Ina. I don't remember exactly what was the incident, uh, but that was a lecture maybe in the lecture or in, the, in a, a class in the gender studies department. 
Um, so yeah. Okay, I guess it's over to me now. Okay. And, <laughs> Thank you so much, Rahul, for inviting us to have this conversation. And I'm also happy that we finally made it. And I think it's also amazing that you got Yasmin and me to talk about our personal stories, because I'm not sure if somebody invited us, like, share your personal story. We would have said yes, but here we are. Um, uh, right? Uh, true. I, I wouldn't otherwise. <laughs> an honor. Thank you. Um, and, well, I guess... One way to start my story is um, when I'm nine years old, which is in 1992, shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union, when I'm on a bus with my uh, family, my, my parents, my older brother and my grandma. Um, and we are on the way to this place called Israel. Um, uh, and I'm telling my dad... Um, Like that, I really want to go go back home, because like we're in this bus going like God knows where, and my dad tells me we're going home, and I don't know why, but I was not convinced. Like I did not buy that story, but it's a very powerful story, uh, because I feel there's something so basic in our desire of you know like to be at home and this narrative of homecoming and especially when people grow up in a place you know where they have like generational history of displacement and migration and trauma and when they feel like they are the other and then suddenly you have this fantasy about this faraway place where with the promise that you will belong and I think just um this fantasy or this illusion in, in itself is so incredibly powerful and I, I honestly don't know why it never worked on me um not because i don't share the desire but because i was never convinced that um israel is a place where um it is is that place um i mean when you come as a jew to israel um The story is the story of like you're coming home and like ascendance. That's the word. Like you're going to a higher place or like to a better place. And it took me many years, and I think only it's more like in my twenties to start thinking about. Well, it it's not like just going to a better place. It was a story of migration, which has like hard moments and positive moments and um, traumatic moments. And then it took me a few more years to start thinking about it in terms of settler colonialism. So I think for me, you know, the way that you open Raha with like the personal story, it's, and I, I really liked what you said about like what political reality makes of us, right? But also, so then, you know, as we grow up and we figure like, okay, so that's the story we are told, but what's the story we want to tell and what we want to make of the political reality? Or like, how? what's the political reality we want to create, right? And I think I felt like very foreign in, in Israel for different reasons. I mean, first, um, the kind of othering and some kind of like racism or like ethnic hierarchy toward like between Jews within the Israeli society, like, um, well, against the primarily Mizrahi Jews, um, Jews of color, Ethiopian Jews, but also in the 90s, particular forms of racism against um, those coming from the former Soviet Union. And I would say in particular, like a very specific kind of 
like sexual sexual violence, like in racialized sexualization against Russian women uh, and, and girls. Um, sort of perceived as more sexually available. And yeah, and I think just some of the few, you know, few things that made it very clear for me that it's not just, ah, finally I'm home and I belong. Um, and then, like, long story short, I think it was only when I also went to university and I moved from Haifa to Tel Aviv. And of course, I had no idea that Haifa is a Palestinian city. I mean, I came from somewhere, I don't know where the, you know, the Arabs came from, you know, and it's only when I went to the university and I also got connected, honestly, to people with more privilege and more access to information. And I was able to go to the library and eat books or I like eat books. I would go to, um, you know, take, like join a protest in the West Bank where the wall was being it was just the beginning of like building the apartheid wall and it was just like it was really just the beginning of the process of understanding where the hell i am but also of you know starting to actually find a connection to a place through you know political community and um you know i i, I think i started being an activist earlier as as a young lesbian on like LGBT youth organizing and feminist stuff. Um, so I think I had a critical outlook on, on, on things or I started developing it. And I think that particular trip to the West Bank was, I think with the Irish, and it was before they started building the wall. It was only when they started demolishing, you know, the trees and the fields and the, like confiscating um, land. So it was more like an educational tour. And honestly, I had no idea where the West Bank is and where we would be going. But I think I had a very strong feeling that something is very wrong with this place. And I think I also, well, maybe unlike many people who grow up there, I didn't feel like, oh, I need to defend it or I don't want to believe, you know, that this is happening. I think I, I, I already had a very strong feeling that something is wrong. And I was like, can somebody show me the reality and explain what's what's going on here? And yeah, after I went and saw what's happening, obviously there was no way back. But I think also seeing people, you know, at like at risk of, like an actual risk or actually like losing their home, that also I felt very strongly as a person who hasn't felt at home um, for, for many years. Um, and how about you, Yasmin? Uh, you are like Abban Hamjad uh, from Netzeret. Yani your roots lay in Netzeret. But Netzeret is under Israeli occupation and under Israeli authority and judiciary system. So how was mm-hmm. it for you to live and grow up as a Palestinian holding the Israeli passport and living under yeah. Israeli authority? Yeah, uh, Nazareth is in uh, uh, is inside Israel, and it's uh, it's one of the biggest uh, Palestinian uh, cities in the uh, in the north. So, how can we answer that question? There is um, so many entry points into it. Should I? Um, I think that my um, sorry. Would you like me to elaborate? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, how was how was it to grow up there? Uh, how was school, for example? Did Israeli uh, children go to school with Palestinian children to the same school or to separate schools? For it's example? not a mixed city. So Nazareth is not a mixed city. Um, Nazareth uh, is uh, inhabited by uh, Palestinians only. Um, there are some 
so, I mean, so-called mixed uh, cities, really, the, the terminology itself is, uh, is also problematic. We can come back to, to talk about that. Um, but let's not sideline all the time and get into other uh, little conversations. So the, the schools in Nazareth are, um, are attended only by uh, Palestinian uh, pupils, uh, students, and uh, it's attended by uh, students from Nazareth and from the surrounding uh, other uh, towns and, and villages. Um, since it's a big, it's the biggest city, so it has, uh, it has many schools and, the, and uh, we learn in, in Arabic. Uh, but usually the curriculum is, uh, is actually being uh, designed and uh, put by the uh, Israeli uh, Education uh, Ministry. Um, so I, uh, I, I, with my uh, two other sisters, I attended the uh, uh, Franciscan uh, uh, school. It's a private uh, school. And, um, and I think I had the, um, like, um, like b- because of, Growing up, going visiting my uh, grandma and my family in Nablus, um, I, I think I had a special uh, experience. Uh, maybe uh, others, of course, had a similar uh, experiences because I uh, definitely my my mom who lived in Nazareth was not the only Palestinian woman from the West Bank or from Gaza who's married to a Palestinian man from inside Israel. But at least in my uh, school. I haven't met uh, someone like that, but I'm sure there are um, others. So um, I think it um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't very difficult to become politically aware um, to the the situation to and um, to what is going on uh, around me in terms of the uh, like specifically talking about uh, facing the Israeli uh, occupation, especially during these uh, these visits. But also, um, and since you talked about it in your introduction, this nuance of the difference between the Palestinians who live inside Israel, who hold the Israeli citizenship, and those who um, live without this uh, citizenship. So, of course, this citizenship gives you uh, like certain uh, access points to, uh, you know, a, a better health system, uh, a better education system, uh, etc. But uh, with time, you understand that it's um, it's uh, it's a void uh, it's a void document. Uh, I never felt um, belonging to the uh, state of uh, of Israel, and maybe it I, it was good for me uh, being protected by the certain inheritance and the certain background I came from because I did not even try <laughs> to belong. Also. Um, you would just you would grow up in a place. It's obvious for you that you are not welcome. Like you are not welcome welcome here. And then maybe some 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 of the Palestinians um, would uh, would 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 try to fit in. Uh, so and would try to fit in for so many reasons because it makes your life easier. Maybe they think and uh, they try, and also because it gives you certain individual gains. Of being like working in a bank, becoming maybe the uh, the CEO of a certain uh, little company here and there, and then you 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 try to do that through education. Many Palestinians inside Israel are, and then you hit a certain uh, glass wall where you understand, oh, there is like a limit to how much the state would uh, allow the Palestinian citizens to uh, to get, and then also you would understand you would understand that. 
even if you gain all these uh, uh, extra privileges uh, as an individual, it means nothing to the community you belong to. It means nothing to the society you belong to. Nazareth hasn't, um, I mean, the, the Nazareth uh, elite, elite, it's called, but now they've changed it to North Hagalil, I think. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, they changed the name of the uh, Israeli settlement that was built on the, uh, uh, on the lands of Nazareth. So in the 50s, it was confiscated, the lands were confiscated from uh, from Nazareth, a, a, a new settlement, Israeli settlement, was built next to it, bigger by twice than it, and it has half of its population. So you know, you don't need to be an expert to understand to understand that there is something, as Ina said, awfully wrong with this place. Um, people in Nazareth, kids, they there there are no playgrounds. There is nowhere to go to play unless you go to the next uh, uh, Israeli uh, city or uh, town or settlement. Um, this is, there is the only place where you would have like big, nice parks, playgrounds, uh, etc. Uh, so even just, you know, if you're strolling around, walking around uh, the city, being coming from space, to Nazareth, and you just cross this line between Nazareth Elite and Nazareth, which is just one street, you'd understand there is something off here between the, the difference between the two places. Um, so, uh, two places under one, under the same state, under the same... Yeah, exactly. And we, and we haven't even crossed to talk about Gaza or the, or the West Bank or even the, uh, the millions of uh, refugees around the world, the, like in diaspora all over, who have uh, like a very strong, deep uh, soul connection to this place, without ever being permitted uh, to uh, go back and 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 visit or see um, or know anything about the, the the place they belong to and the uh, you know the cities they uh, lived in, etc. So yeah. Um, you mentioned that the uh, school curriculum where you went to school mm. uh, was developed by the, you know, like the Israeli Ministry of Education, I guess. Um, the, like, since it is schools under the Israeli Ministry of Education, do they all have the same curriculum? Like, did you have the same curriculum like an Israeli child in an Israeli school had? Is it the same curriculum? On, and if there is a difference, then what was the difference? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm going to speak here uh, like from the like wider general, general perspective. I think like more detail needs someone expert and someone who had looked into the curriculum, uh, like especially in the last uh, years. So no, we don't study um, the same curriculum. Uh, there is a curriculum that is developed uh, for the Palestinians in Israel, and there is a, a different curriculum that is developed um, for Israelis, especially when it's not sciences we are talking about. Like it's not mathematics or physics or chemistry. Maybe that it, that's a different issue. But when we when it comes to history, politics, uh, uh, etc., there are things that are developed uh, differently. And the idea for the Palestinians is not to touch upon the Palestinian history. So the Nakba is not mentioned, it's not studied, um, 
there is like it's a void, you know, uh, something you don't really uh, uh, study in 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 school, and um, and of course you have to study as a Palestinian uh, student the um, the history of the Zionist movement, uh, the uh, uh, the different uh, immigration uh, periods to <clears throat> to Israel. Um, so you would become an expert in that, while you uh, unfortunately know nothing about uh, um, your own history, your own ancestors, and your own uh, connection to the place. And that's uh, obviously, um, it's uh, like, this is the Israeli determination. It's determined, I think, to, um, to erase any uh, political entity called the Palestinians. Um, the idea of it's fine to have you as individuals, as Arabs. It's fine if you have, if you want to have a connection to Palestine from the cultural point of view, like folklore or something like that, like in terms of what you eat, what you dress, the music you hear, it's also fine. It's tolerated. But the moment you want to assert yourself as a, a belonging to a certain group, as a subject, as an agent, uh, who who has wishes and wants it's like uh, to strengthen the community you want to belong to this place you have your own demands you want to be heard you want to to have equality you want to have justice you want to be equal to the other human beings who live here that's like a very basic thing to to demand then this is obviously not uh, not accepted and that's why the 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 erasure from the curriculum of any uh, mentioning of of the existence of Palestinians before the existence of, of Israel. And uh, of course, I mean, we look at today, maybe uh, uh, we come to, to talk about that and we understand this is, uh, have been a failure in terms of like uh, the Israeli uh, policy. And it can be failure for so many reasons, but I can mention like there is, um, it's a young state. It's like 70 something years old. My dad celebrates this month, in one week, his 80th birthday. So we are literally older than Israel. Uh, literally. <laughs> so it's like, it's really hard to forget this. I mean, I, I look at my dad and I talk to him and I know that this person had lived longer than the existence of the state. So dad does not know what it's... Um, he, he cannot... Rem like, he, you cannot take this from him. Uh, he has been born in a place that is called Palestine. And it's uh, it, like no, no erasure, no book, no books, no history, no airplanes, bombing, uh, you know, killing, torture would take such a very precious uh, uh, understanding from uh, a soul of a human being, I think. And it's, it's transmitted to the generation after generation. So yeah. it is, it is transmitted yeah. from generation to generation. You know, I, I feel actually that this is one of the things that we all Palestinians have in common, no matter where in the diaspora we grew up and how differently we grew up. Um, you know, when you, when you, at the beginning of your answer, when you were answering about the curriculum, um, I uh, remembered a book that I, I, I think I mentioned it before um, in the podcast very briefly, but um, it is a book about uh, the Israeli education system. Uh, it's called uh, Palestine and Israeli School Books and was written by a professor of language and education. Nurit Peled Al-Hannan is her name. But um, I, would, I would like to tell you the story of Nurit 
the author because the book is in my opinion uh, such a great source not only because she is an expert on what she's writing but also her uh, story um, Norit uh, had a 13 years old uh, daughter and one day um, two young Palestinians blew, blew themselves up and they took their own lives and uh, the lives of several other Israelis including Smadar Smadar uh, Uh, Nurit's daughter and after the funeral at Nurit's house you know the mourners and the supporters and the reporters were there and I think one of the reporters asked about revenge and retaliation and her answer was so strong and I think most of people wouldn't expect this um answer she said that no mother would want this to happen to another mother and she said that that the, her government is responsible that her government brought those two young palestinians to such level of despair and aggression and uh, uh, sorry and oppression and um, that they would uh, take uh, their own lives and the lives of uh, other innocent people so yeah i If someone uh, wants to dig deeper about um, education in Israel and education system, I totally recommend this book. But uh, let's go back to Ina. I know, Ina, you said that uh, you always felt that there was something wrong. But can you tell us more? Um, you you grew up, uh, you went to another school. You went to the school with the other curriculums and you you were brought up with the Zionist narrative. How was school for you and how was your youth time and how was your social experience at that time and that age? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's a good comparison in, in the sense that also people come from, you know, different places of identity and family background. And, you know, of course, like for me as a kid of immigrants, like also what was important for my family is that I have a good education and that I make myself alive. But of course, people who are, They didn't just immigrate and had to do, you know, shitty jobs. And uh, but they like really deeply identify with the state, and you know, and they feel like it's theirs. And part of that is also this extreme, extreme militarization of of society and this mindset that it's not even about just like it's it's how the family is also, you know, the place where the nationalism sits. So if you don't go to the army, you're, um, it's not just that you're a bad citizen, but you're a bad person and you are a disgrace to your family. And it's like, uh, you know, in Europe, kids would, you know, decide to which, um, like, university department they want to go. In Israel, they would be thinking to which military unit you want to go. And the considerations around that would be... Um, you know, like what gives me better chances later professionally or like what's more sexy or, you know, that kind of stuff. But in no point you are like, well, actually, if you go there, you'll be killing people and maybe you will be connected, like you will be implicit in war crimes and crimes against humanity wherever you go. It's it's a totally, it's like, and I think the more I, I, I live outside of Israel, I understand to what extent people live there in an entirely parallel reality like with very deep levels of denial, um, very convenient denial, I, you know, it's uh, an ignorance. Um, and 
And I think maybe just one more thing to say to that is, and, and that's something that the school system also very, you know, like very like pumps into your brain very hard, but also the rest of the culture and the family and everything is this idea that, um, well, it's of course the instrumentalization of the Holocaust um, and the way it's taught in schools and the way that now the army and the state are the answer to the trauma and the genocide. And so in order for the Holocaust not to happen again, we need a strong army and we need the state of Israel. And this is what kids like hear from a very, very young age, if not from kindergarten. Um, and it creates, I think, something that's characteristic of fascist uh, regimes in general, which is a complete identification mm. between um, the individual and the nation state. Mm if not the government. Um, and this is why I think, or maybe one of the many reasons, you know, why we are uncomfortable, you know, saying the word Israel. I know we touched on that a bit before, but really didn't go into it. Because like you said, Yasmin, it's like there are, you know, less than 80 years. It's a very, you know, temporary project. Maybe it doesn't have to continue, you know, for eternity, but there is something very ahistorical. Like each time, you know, you use the word, it's like, facts on the ground it's like faire accompli you know um and i think we don't want to do it discursively as well so that's why every time somebody asks me where i'm from it's a it's a hard question to answer like i can't say I, i'm you know i'm from palestine because uh that would really give people the wrong impression but there's also like saying um from Israel that, you know, establishes Israel as this ahistorical fact that's been there, you know, forever and will be forever. And the destruction of Israel is like the destruction of Jews. So, you know, in Germany, it's like a complete, um, you know, at the same time, I mean, I think all of us right now, are, you know, in like East Berlin, East Germany, a country that doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, I was born in the Soviet Union, which is also a state formation that does not exist anymore. Um, but this um, complete identification between individuals and Israel as a state, but also as a colonial project, is just something that runs very, very deep, um, you know, in that education system that I think is mainly what talking about just the other side of the same system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's... Um especially recently, uh, after the last uh, um, intifada or uh, after the last uprising in, in, in May, I think also since you talked about the terminology and the use of uh, the word Israel, it's sometimes like it's, um, um, it's important to use it where you want to like talk about the effect of uh, citizenship, especially when you're talking to uh, like a European audience, to American audience, to like internationals who understand what like citizenship means because um, like uh, I mean of course they will be shocked to understand that it's it's not an immunity it does not give you in Israel uh, immunity uh, you're not immune from not only discrimination but also from uh, being shot in the street and being attacked and in May uh, I think what was um, like very frightening is the especially the attacks of settlers who ruined the uh, uh, Palestinian uh, cities and went into uh, different neighborhoods uh, in places like Haifa and Biafa and Lib and started shooting and uh, killing people inside of Israel. Yes, um, 
and it, like demarcating the houses with special signs that here lives like Palestinians and so I think it's uh, it's important to understand the 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 the, the meaning of, of of being a citizen in a state that treats you like that um, and um, this is one and I would add to that um, the importance also of understanding how much the legal system in Israel is very much invested in the Jewish supremacy and um, in in uh, in making this a project uh, only and uh, uh, for Jews, where Palestinians are uh, being not seen as human beings, not treated as human beings. And the awful truth is that this is really very much is in, uh, uh, is in the laws. The laws of Israel, and especially recently the, the nation, law? the nation uh, state law, it's called, yeah. I think, Kanun uh, al and uh, it really upholds the uh, the Jewish uh, supremacy um, and uh, puts only one one people to be to be seen to be treated equally to uh, um, to have access to the resources and um, the everybody else is not uh, accounted for. And where is where is the liberals in Israel with about this uh, this. Um these kinds of flows because uh, you know like the last elections and all the the um, PR that they did uh, in in Israel to get elected to remove Netanyahu because he's an extremist etc and then uh, Yamina <laughs> came um, all this all this PR and all this publicity about being liberal and wanting more equality um, where what is this on on the rea- the ground of reality away away from the a couple of commercials and videos that some, somebody sees uh, shortly before the elections i mean i mean we are in europe and we do know that like liberalism and colonialism ne- like never contradicted each other exactly mm-hmm. like, right like it's it's um like there exactly and they're creating and legitimizing each other in 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 various ways and so in that sense like liberalism in in the israeli context is not very different from other kinds of you know forms of liberalism that are invested in white supremacy and and racism and, and hierarchies between people and and at the same time they enjoy the moral superiority right the narrative that positions them as like morally superior and as um, educators yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. yeah and as the civilized you know mm-hmm. and like those you know the, these colonial civilizatory discourses are also very much present in in you know um, like in the Israeli colonial project as well you will find a lot of people who will say. I mean, it's also better for the Palestinians, you know, to be under Israeli occupation, um, which is, you know, just classic colonial discourses. And, um, yeah, and I think, you know, the ignorance there is, and, like, the legitimacy for, like, never-ending crimes against humanity is not, like, can't really be separated from, you know, the the way that colonialism is treated today, you know, in Germany and, um, well, Germany is in complete denial, 
like just you know slowly getting out of this denial of this colonial history but i don't know how many you know how many people to this day think that colonialism was wrong or or not mm. um like i'm assuming and i'm sure that you ina and you yasmin are not the only activists and not the only like definitely not the only palestinian activists for freedom <laughs> but uh but uh, ina is definitely not the the only activist i'm sure of that um where where are the voices of those those activists in israel are they allowed to have are you allowed to have a party that is not yamina and not uh, likud and not the liberal party are you allowed are arabs allowed to to have a political party are they allowed to form their own uh, party and participate in the elections as citizens Yeah, I think you're right. It's true that we are being a bit pessimistic here. No, the, no, 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 that's in, not... Uh, <laughs> uh, I meant, is there a place or a space for a real opposition in Israel? Are there political parties that are calling for equal rights and are demanding um, are demanding the removing of those um, discriminating laws? I mean, Israel calls itself the only democracy in um in uh, the Middle East. So is there a place for opposition in this democracy? I mean, I know I was, you know, a bit theoretical about like this liberalism and colonialism, but I think I was basically just trying to say like, what's the meaning of being liberal? You get the meaning from the context. And in that context, it's like people want peace, right? Like, of course, people want to live in peace. But, you know, for the majority of Jewish Israelis and also liberals, like the idea of peace is that Israel maintains, um, you know, a regime of Jewish supremacy, uh, economic, politic, uh, politically, military, absolutely, um, in the entire region and controls the natural resources in the lives of all people. And Palestinians don't mind. Mm-hmm. Like that's the idea of peace, right? Like that's, that was the idea I think also throughout the mainstream peace movement, because this is the kind of, you know, this is the limitations and, you know, the essence of of this colonial mindset. Hmm. And there is a very strong propaganda machine that has been, uh, and Ina touched upon this, uh, the, the, uh, the usage of the, um, uh, the historical uh, uh, incidents and the, um, and the atrocities that the Jewish people have uh, have uh, um, have have gone through, um, the the genocide, uh, namely. Um, so Israel utilizes that and uh, as a political entity um, and builds upon it. So there is a, a like the the first layer is fear, and they build up they build upon it uh, uh, like very uh, strong structures of. Um, um, of control, so they they really want to control the lives of the Palestinians, so the, as much as they can, and they, uh, um, I think the the, the basic uh, discourse uh, that they uh, reveal is that if we don't do this, we are being threatened. Um, so in 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 that, I mean, I think this explains. Uh, a bit maybe uh, why um, there is no um, bigger uh, cam- like cam- 
camp for uh, for peace. No? And you know, I think also what you said about the legal system is mm-hmm. also really true about the political system that it is built in a way to maintain uh, Jewish supremacy, and it's also you know it does allow a certain um, you know like yeah, there's very few Palestinian and anti-Zionist uh, you know Knesset members, mm. but the system is built in a way that they don't really have political power and the system all the time tries to you know get better at that right like with the nationality law that you Mm. mentioned Mm. um but i mean obviously there's um there's also the privileges that they uh... yeah but there's also a lot of it's it's not that i mean i think it's a it's a good question you know on like the possibilities for political change through parliamentary politics, but also like through grassroots organizing and, and, and movements, because like that's actually where we met. I mean, it's true that we mm-hmm. met shortly in the university, but we weren't really friends there. We got to know each other like actually several years later through political activism. And yeah. Uh, political activism. Um, like you both are now in Berlin, yeah. but you haven't stopped being uh, activists. How is it to be an activist under the German law and order? And like um, Ina, for example, I remember you wrote a very powerful article um, about about the unquestioning support for uh, uh, Israel by Germany. Yeah. And yeah, can you tell us about your activism in Europe and the momentum in Berlin and? Uh, What uh, are your in your experiences as activists um, here in Germany? Um, yeah, maybe uh, as an entry point, we can connect this to uh, what Ina uh, ended up um, to, like the la- the last point actually we we discussed about uh, politics um, and the 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 fact that today I mean uh, Israel is being led by settlers uh, really. Um, it is. It's. Uh, it's supported by uh, uh, by uh, Europe, European countries and uh, by the United States. What what yeah, makes exactly. um, what makes it con- what enables it uh, actually to continue its uh, its policy and its uh, um, uh, colonial project. So t- talking about that and understanding. Uh, that this is like a, a, like a real fact and a real problem. You understand that um, um, being active outside of Palestine uh, is also very important. But I also here want to talk about two things actually. Uh, one, and maybe later on, if you want to jump on this, uh, Rahaf, um, um, as like a Palestinian refugee, then uh, please do so. Um, I think for uh, for many years um, and after the uh, after the the Nakba and uh, and for the Palestinians being scattered all around, uh, especially like in the beginning, uh, Arab Arab states, but then uh, later on generations have also left, and some of them went to to Europe and to United States and other parts of the world. I think we are talking today about uh, millions of Palestinians who are disenfranchised politically and uh, who are fragmented as a uh, as a political community. And um, Israel had worked very hard uh, in maintaining and in, in making this a a, uh, a a fact. 
um, and in maintaining it for longer because it, it, it wanted to disconnect the Palestinians around the world from, uh, from Palestine and then to put on the side the issue of, uh, um, of return and of any kind of like connection which would make it uphold the, uh, you know, the, the myth that there was no Palestinians, there's nothing like that. We don't owe anyone anything. We didn't do anything, you know, the, the whole, uh, like, uh, um, Zionist propaganda. Um, so, um, and unfortunately, I think that the, the Palestinian Authority had helped uh, a lot, in, in, especially since the uh, Oslo capitulation, the Oslo Accords, uh, where um, it, it helped, I, I mean, uh, literally in uh, uh, fragmenting the, the Palestinian refugees and their connection to each other and they could, their connection to, to Palestine. Um, so I think, going back to the question of activism, I think activating and reinvigorating uh, and alivening this, um, this strength, this power, which exists in uh, Palestinians outside of, of Palestine, that the, uh, the, the, the vast majority of them are um, uh, sons and daughters of refugees, um, is a very uh, powerful tool. Um, and it, it, it keeps on... Um, it, it keeps on making the... giving meaning, I feel, to the uh, to our cause, and um, so you, there is no d disconnection between the generation and also the historicity of uh, like the history of this the story <laughs> uh, um, of of Palestine and the and, and what happened since the Nakba till uh, till today. So um, this is the first point. The second point is the the really difficult uh, political atmosphere uh, of talking about Palestine in uh, uh, in Europe and specifically now in Germany, I'm active in the, uh, in Palestine speaks, and um, I mean the the name the speaks uh, comes from the. Um, the really the the need of us to uh, assert our voice, to have a voice, to to you know speak for ourselves, uh, and and to have this uh, this this agency, this this action um, here in in Germany, and as a uh, Palestinians who um, most of us are, are, like are refugees uh, uh, or from uh, like uh, refugee communities and some of us who had had left Palestine throughout the years for study or work or etc. Yeah. How about you Ina? Can you tell us more? I mean as I said as I mentioned you wrote a very powerful article about it um, but can you tell us more about your experience yeah. as an activist? Yeah, um, yeah I think um, since you know, since everything that's been happening in May, um, but also 
what was happening at the same time in Germany, and I think that has to do with this kind of, you know, building of movement and community and with, you know, pal uh, with Palestine speaks, um, active in many cities in Germany, that suddenly on the Nakba day in May, we had here like the largest ever mm. Palestine solidarity demonstrations. Mm. And it wasn't just, you know, 200 people that the police could, you know, just violently kick out. It was... Um, I mean, not that they're not trying, uh, but I'm just saying, I, I do feel like there's a moment of building political power. Well, the historic demonstrations. Yeah, yeah. And and I think there's, there's a momentum of, um, I mean, just yesterday I was in a meeting preparing the, you know, the Berlin anti-colonial months with like lots of different groups coming together. And I mean, it's not the first year it will be organized, but it does really feel like like a momentum in in Germany and Berlin specifically with a lot of migrant communities. Um, I think also with the impact that uh, Black Lives Matter um, had on Palestine solidarity globally and and in some ways um, in Germany as well. That there's there's something quite hopeful happening. I think also in that sense that we are not um, orienting ourselves exclusively on basically the white German left. Um, and I think it's not accidental that, you know, it's like Palestine speaks, the Jewish voice. It's, you know, like those like different forms of silencing and, and denial, you know, of our political autonomy and our voice and misre horrible misrepresentation, which was, yeah, which was really one of the main points of, of that article because if you go to you know speaking of the because we were talking about the liberals you even go to liberal media outlets and you know it's a Nagba day demonstration and they would say ah there was a demonstration with something anti-semitic even though none of us has seen anything anti-semitic but it's true that for many here just the fact that Palestinians exist is, is already enough for that but, you know, they would not even explain what the Nakba Day is and why is there a protest. Mm -hmm. And the same with the way that Germany has been sort of, you know, appropriating uh, Jews in a way, you know, um, that my activism here has been, you know, not only, but also, you know, as, as a board member of the Jewish Voice for Peace in Germany and also, you know, more recently various uh, direct action initiatives and groups like the Jewish uh, Bund, the Jewish anti-fascist Bund, um, because Jews in Germany now are supposed to have a very specific place um, and supposed to enjoy, you know, I, I don't even know how to call it, like almost like the pet minority, like a privileged minority, enjoying some kind of, you know, illusion of protection of the white German establishment. And I think if you are a person coming from a minority and, you know, history of persecution um, and you have a bit of common sense, you should really understand that, you know, like this, the white German state, like you really shouldn't count, you know, trust it with your life. A lot of it is an illusion and there's, and there's um, very clear, you know, instruction is maybe not the exact word, but very clear message from the state on what, what is it to be a good Jew, what kind of Jew you are allowed to be, what kind of political positions you are allowed to have. So the moment you cross that line and you, um, 
you become a bad Jew, then, you know, it's fine to have police violence at your demonstration and to say, you know, um, so for me, that's, you know, sort of a moment of us, you know, asserting our voices and, you know, building our own political communities and also, you know, owing, uh, like owning our own history. Mm. Um, so you're saying it's not really about being a Jew, but rather about fitting into the, uh, the, the, how they imagine the Jew should act and how like the Jew should fit into their own uh, like discourse or agenda, actually political German agenda. Exactly. I mean, I think many of us have very different um, like the Jews here. And just to be clear, there are not many Jews in Germany overall for very obvious historical reasons. Uh, but those of us who are, you know, come from like very different, you know, like religious and secular families, backgrounds, countries, you know, regions. And like even the meaning of being Jewish can be very, very different mm. for, for, for us. And I'm sure for many of us, it would not have been such a big deal. But they don't see the you know? diversity. Yeah, but like it would not be, a bi- like I'm sure for many of us, like it wouldn't be such, you know, we wouldn't organize necessarily as Jews if we were not living in a country that uses our identity and charges it and, you know, claims it as its own and charges it with meaning that that is you know absolutely unacceptable and shocking to us um and then this is the moment where you know you're like okay well um <laughs> we would like to take ownership of our own identity and history mm-hmm. um, this is not what, how we see our future too like as absolutely as colonizers or occupiers Ab- ab- absolutely and yeah i guess one can go very deep into different psychological you know theories about that but but yeah you know the fact that for so many germans and and you know for the german state as such like this need in this idea of israel and you know like this kind of perverted and not like in the nice sense but really those perverted ideas about like jewish survival being connected to this particular settler colonial project in a different part of the world um like i think from main demonstrations you know one of my mm. uh, favorite signs was uh, something like if you care about so much about israel give them your land yeah i i uh, i just want to add one point that it's um because you talked about like uh, owning our own story and uh, uh, charging our own identity with our own ideals, that what we mm-hmm. want as a people to to uh, uh, to be. I think uh, we we continuously go back to this May moment, this uh, uh, this uprising in May, because I think it's, it it dismantled so many myths and uh, it actually gave like it emancipated it allowed an emancipation of our like political imagination as as Palestinians, but also as uh, as Jews maybe and as uh, like supporters. So the unprecedented demonstrations here in in Germany, where also we've, we have seen unprecedented demonstrations in in, in, in London, for instance, for in, in the United States and, and many places, where like you see that it's not only like this Palestinian generation that is um, reclaiming and and putting a different uh, terminologies on on the table, but also those who support the Palestinians like there is mm-hmm. they are renewing their commitment in a different way and I think having me like meeting this truth within a um, within a space that claims itself like Europe as democratic 
and does not allow this uh, movement to really take shape and be influential, it really puts you in this position where you see the um, the contradiction, the deep contradiction between how this claim of Germany being we're democratic, we're open, we hear voices, and how you see they uh, they really um, jump into this this moment and this movement, trying to rip it really from its strength uh, with uh, policing, with violence, with um, with with lies, with claims of uh, of uh, anti-Semitism, etc. Et or if or, or if totally ignoring us, like yeah. you 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 don't exist. We don't wanna we don't wanna uh, we don't wanna hear you. And I think also like our strength, uh, mm-hmm. looking at it now, is like both in, in Palestine speaks, but also in like uh, our Jewish Voice for Peace, um, is the that we build alliances. We kind of like learned something, maybe mm-hmm. throughout the years. Uh, this is also the strength yeah. of this new generation. We we learned this alliance building of coalition building. So the the fact that we engage and really care about uh, like Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. the uh, the feminist movements, the the feminist movement in Palestine, Tala, and there is uh, like a, a different I think spirit of movement building mm-hmm. that is really um, is really un- un- unprecedented in the last few years and yeah i think it, it will continue yeah and i think there's also this disillusionment you know with the promise of the right uh, establishment mm-hmm. which also i think you know really fuels and helps this kind of drive to understand like to be building this political community and i'm thinking also about the way that palestine became such also a symbolic issue mm-hmm. in you know like we are going beyond kind of the boundaries you know the political boundaries of what we are allowed to say or do by you know the german establishment or even the german left mm-hmm. right so i'm thinking about like about two moments one is the 1st of May demonstrations here now mm. with, um, you know, like very strong migrant leadership and with, you know, like Palestinian and Kurdish and Armenian and Jewish groups and others. And like this, this kind of like those, this broader political community and also, you know, the changes that we are th- seeing from actually from many years of our work. I'm, I'm thinking how two years ago... Um, we were unwanted in the so-called, you know, the the queer radical pride in Berlin, which was supposed to be, you know, the alternative, the less mainstream, the more, you know, political queer pride event. But still, they said that they didn't want, um, yeah, Palestine solidarity and BDS support and all of that. And so, well, we still came uninvited because mm-hmm. we are radical queers and it's a radical queer match and we are, you know, reclaiming our space. But also the fact that now, two years ago, um, it was like people from, um, you know, from different uh, queer groups organized and especially Quark, the, the group that came uh, out of that event, um, with many others organizing the internationalist queer pride and having you know more than ten thousand people on the street for an event that was very clear um, also in support of Palestine and where you know there was this internationalist spirit of bringing a lot of um, connection to different parts of the world um, you know as, as migrants who are connected to those different you know, political homes and communities. Yeah. Um, 
but also sort of, yeah, defining, um, I don't know, I think it was a very powerful and very healing moment for many because it felt like, okay, so it can be our street, it can be our city. And, uh, you know, for people who don't, all, you know, rarely feel at home in that way. Mm. So, like, there's something hopeful around this claiming of, you know, physical space and political space and, I don't know, maybe also this COVID isolation and, you know, we need each other. <laughs> I definitely feel the feel the change too like um also when Yasmin when you were talking uh I kind of realized stuff that I have been experiencing or feeling through my life here in Germany but I didn't really put my finger on them the last demonstrations in May gave life to something that really died slowly in me when I mm. arrived in Germany like I I'm always seen and or or The impression about me is that I'm an open-minded person, that I am someone you can talk to mm. about the situation in the Middle East, etc. I'm always considered someone you can actually t take knowledge from. But when it comes to the situation in Palestine, or even mentioning the word Israel and Palestine, a whole other veil comes down and the communication cut and you can feel it. The reactions are very, very rarely there was a positive reaction and um, I learned just to push it down. I learned not to say that I'm Palestinian. That was also one of the contradictions in myself. I grew up I grew up in Jordan, born in Jordan, and I left Jordan when I was 24 years old. And all my life, uh, if somebody asks, where are you from at school, even the children there, because the families speak like that, then the children speak like that. If I said, uh, I'm Jordanian, I'm from Jordan, then we always say, no, you, you're not originally Jordanian. You are not an original Jordanian. So I learned as a child to say, I am Palestinian. In the taxi, you get into the taxi, the guy uh, wants to have a small talk. Where are you from? Uh, from Amman? No, originally, where are you from? Where, where is your father from? Where is your grandfather from? This was always important. I always grew up know, knowing you are not from here. This played a role in, in the education I get, my chances to get a place in, in the university, my chances to get a job, my chances not to get a ticket, a driving ticket. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the three yeah. of us have the same, uh, <laughs> like this specific I mean, experience of uh, that you don't belong. That's who you are, yeah. We're being told uh, it's like a perpetual uh, story about uh, our lives that we don't belong. But here we have uh, created something beautiful we belong to. I think we covered a lot. A lot. Yeah, I think we, maybe <laughs> yes. it's. Uh... Yes, we have been recording for about two hours or even more. Um, but I really didn't feel the time pass. Um, and we did cover a lot in indeed. But before we end the talk today, I usually ask my guests to leave to leave us with a specific thought. What what thought would you like to leave me and the listeners with? Okay, we can start maybe with Yasmin and then yeah, uh, Ina, sure. you tell us. Um, I think uh, I would like the people maybe who would listen to this to uh, to think. Well, first, how they can um, contribute uh, to the uh, to ending um, 
this uh, structural racism, colonialism, occupation, how they can contribute to the Palestinian cause uh, and be meaningful, uh, regardless where they are um, uh, located, uh, if in Palestine or here in Germany or somewhere else, um, to, to look actively for channels to uh, educate themselves, to learn, uh, to read, to get in touch with, with people, and to um, to form like if they are if they live somewhere where there is no uh, group that is active, maybe they can create something. And uh, I think every uh, action is uh, is is uh, is meaningful. And a thought that's connected to this is um, um, sometimes when you talk about Palestine, there is this issue of uh, all the um, it's complicated or the complex of the situation that puts people off. And I would would not argue against the complexity, uh, and in general, I don't think complexity necessarily is something negative. Uh, it just means there's more layers to, you know, to understand and to look uh, into uh, like one, uh, one situation. But um, we can always come back to the very um, basic and maybe simple questions and 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 those if you want to act uh, like uh, responsibly and to be committed to a cause and if you believe like in uh, in, in freedom and in justice uh, then maybe taking this uh, um, uh, moral stance wouldn't be that uh, complicated it's just to ask yourself i mean it's uh, why the for instance the blockade on gaza is still going on or what what what's to stop Israel from lifting the blockade. Uh, what's, why there is no equality between people who uh, live between the river and the sea. Um, so things like that who, that would maybe uh, get your imagination starting into understanding that, uh, you know, like leave the details, what happened today, tomorrow, etc., and go to the, like, the bigger picture. What, what's, what, why not? Yeah, why not uh, dismantle the wall? Why not uh, like take off all the checkpoints? Why not giving people uh, freedom, the same curriculum, this the same uh, uh, um, uh, access to resources, to water, to land, uh, to the ability to build their homes? So, um, I think I would like to take it to solidarity because. Um, Precisely because things are moving and, and things are changing in the political discourse here, I think we have more and more situations when people sort of have to take sides. Like you're being, you know, there's a lot of intimidation and, you know, threats. If you don't, you know, if you speak about this, we will pull your funding. We will not give you the public space. Uh, you know, you might lose your job. So um, there's a lot of pressure from the establishment um, to censor us. Using using this type of um, you know using this type of pressure and I think one of the one of the things it made really clear to me you know in like because solidarity can you know not really mean anything but trying to think what it means and I think one of the things that it means in this particular context is is to um, that you have to be willing to take risk for what you think is right and that means you know you might risk losing state funding. And it might mean, you know, that like also, I think on a more personal level like this, you know, what will the neighbor say? You know, like if you, you know, you are leftist and you're, you're, you know, like it's 
says like refugees welcome all over your balcony but like when it comes to Palestinian refugees being welcome in their own homes basically you know that's 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 like a no and so um and you know and if you would support that then you know your anti-Deutsch neighbor might think that you're anti-Semitic. So I think there's something about, you know, being brave and, and doing the right thing mm. and not being, um, and, and, you know, taking a risk. And I understand it's different positions of privilege and, you know, different levels of risk and, you know, the situation that people are at risk of losing their jobs for being in solidarity with, you know, like supporting human rights for Palestinians is not a situation that should even exist. But I think... Like that's that's also how you create change, right? Like it's it's also taking risk to kind of change the scale. And I think I would I think one of the things that kind of you know came from our conversation is that like both the experience of being alone, but also the experience of finding your community. And I can totally get you know why people are afraid and. Um, you know, or just would prefer to say it's complicated, like Yasmin said, and yeah, but I think for people to know that there is, like, you will not be alone if you take that risk, you will have a political community, and I mean, really, between the side of, you know, like, white German establishment with its, you know, white supremacy and, and racism, and political communities of migrants and people of color building a different kind of vision and future, you know, where, where do you want to be? Great. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I really feel it was a really nice conversation. I know it's going to be a long podcast. I'm not sure how uh, the listeners are going to feel about it, but I really feel like this was just a really nice conversation and I'm, I hope and I'm sure it's going to be also a nice conversation to listen to. I also feel it was very nice. I thought it was, it was very nice too. I'm like... It was great. But you, you both were great. <laughs> <laughs> you were definitely great. Thank you so much, yeah. Rehav. Thank you. And uh, we meet you soon for a drink. Yes. Yes, I can't wait to finish the bootcamp and have a drink with you ladies. And thank you for... Uh, for not giving up on us when we were like, no, we can't in this, maybe in two weeks, no, maybe next month. <laughs> so thank you for, for being patient. Thank you so much. Salamat. Thank you Salamat. so much. Good luck. Bye, darling. That was today's episode. As usually, I added extra resources and the links to some of uh, Yasmin and Ina's work, as well as the um, timestamps in the description. I hope this was... A good listen and that you learned something or got curious and want to know more and till next time <laughs>